Hello, and welcome to Listed, a Forbes podcast about people, money, and power. I'm your co-host, Abe Brown. I'm the other co-host, Maggie McGrath. And today, we're talking Jerry Jones and the NFL. All right, Abe, we come to this episode not Cowboys fans. No, neither of us neither of us are Cowboys fans. Should we start by noting our allegiances? I guess it might be somewhat um I'm genetically least. required to note my allegiance. Yes, yeah, so I guess I grew up also in a re- in a region of the country where football is religion, similar to you. You are an Eagles fan. You're a sad, sad Bills fan. Uh, You know, that is pot calling the kettle, you know, greenish black or something. I do vaguely recall the Lombardi Trophy marching down Broad Street just 18 months ago. I'm sorry. What is that? I'm very unfamiliar with that. I know you are. And we are not. But anyway, (laughs) I'm genetically required to disclose my allegiances and also to hate the Cowboys. So this will be a really interesting conversation. Some of my earliest football memories are watching the Cowboys beat the Buffalo Bills into Super Bowls. So I don't think either of us have any uh, any any particular soft spot for Jerry Jones or the Cowboys. Well, actually, so I've been talking to the reporter who's doing Jerry Jones's wealth file, because what our listeners should understand is not only are the Cowboys on our list and at the top of the list, Mm -hmm. sadly, of America's most valuable NFL franchises, they are also at the top of the world's most valuable sports teams. Mm -hmm. So that includes soccer teams around the world, baseball teams, NBA teams, NFL teams, etc., But Jerry Jones is on the Forbes 400. He's worth, as of this recording, $6.8 billion and um, therefore also on the world's billionaires list. So he's very much part of this Forbes universe. And in talking to the reporters other than our guest who cover him, he's an interesting character. He makes himself available to the media in ways that not all billionaires do. Um, There was a Bleacher Report or Ringer article a few years ago about why all sports writers love Jerry Jones? Well, in my mind, the Cowboys are very much the Yankees of football, right? They they won a lot. They became a huge marketing franchise. Uh, they became a synonym, basically, for the sport. They became the team that you became a default fan of. They won so much that you loved to hate them because they just couldn't stop winning. All right, Abe. So maybe all sports writers love Jerry Jones, but our own Mike Ozanian has been covering him for many years. Yes, he's our very own five-tool player. It's Mike Ozanian. Hi, Mike. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. A lot of fun. <laughs> you have no idea. So we were just talking about the Cowboys not only top the NFL valuations, which you run, but also the list of the world's most valuable sports teams. Mike, I'd love to hear from you more about the man behind the Cowboys' success. Tell us. Wow. Jerry Jones. Yeah. I first met Jerry Jones, I want to say about 1990. Wow. So is that when he's buying the team? Yeah. It was just after he bought the team. Which no one liked. Well, the team was pretty much bankrupt and was losing, I don't know, 35000 a month, something like that. And the Cowboys had been an iconic NFL franchise, quote-unquote, America's team during the 70s. They were were constantly in the Super Bowl, constantly one of the best teams in the NFL. And they had gone into some hard times in the late 70s, really 80s, I guess it was. And the team started to lose money. You know, fans are fickle, right? (laughs) Even for football down in Dallas. And 
They couldn't sell tickets, had a hard time leasing out the luxury suites. And uh, there were a number of people interested in buying the Cowboys. Obviously, back then, uh, sports teams are selling for far less than they do today. Oh, sure. Uh, Shortly after that is when I started getting into, just started valuing teams. And so I figured who better to call than, than Jerry Jones on, because a lot of people thought, you know, this was just a rich man's folly. You know, here's a guy who had, what cash he had had made it as a oil wildcatter, you know? But this wasn't the first NFL team he tried to buy. And he tried to buy the Chargers. Right. I think it was and his, before. And his dad wouldn't cough up. This was when he was a much younger man. And He's his like dad, 23. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he started out selling insurance, I think working for his dad's company yep. initially. So I didn't know him. And there was a, another a colleague of mine at the time that was from the South and had done some interviews with team owners. So this colleague of mine who was from the South, which is where Jerry's from, gets this interview. With Jerry. With Jerry. So we fly down and uh, we go into Jerry's office. And what I remembered from the interview, and and I've kidded Jerry about this recently, Jerry basically doesn't look at me the whole 45 minutes. Why? Maybe but one time. Well, you know, I'm a northern guy and he's trusting the southern guy. And you, <laughs> But you got to remember also, Jerry had put every penny he could get his hands on. Into the Cowboys. In, into buying this team. And he was under enormous pressure. The team's losing a lot of money. He's trying to figure out how to sell tickets, you know, uh, how to turn the team around, which it, which had hit bad times. And, uh, you know, as, as he had told me subsequent to that, you know, if probably the sale price had gone up by another nickel, he, he would not have been able to buy the Cowboys. <laughs> so right towards the end, I maybe got one or two questions in. And so we go to leave, go to take a car back to the hotel. It was raining outside, I think, and we're waiting in the lobby for our car to come. And then Jerry leaves the room we had met in goes walking past us to his office, turns in our direction, looks at my friend, my colleague, whose name first name was Holt, and says, see you, Holt, <laughs> and walks and keeps walking. And says nothing to you. And said, yeah, said nothing to me. So that, that was my, that was my, and, I, and Jerry had that look in his eye too, you know, which was like that first meeting where I, I felt like had I moved in the wrong direction, you know, he, he had these steel blue eyes that, that could just cut you like a razor. I felt like, you know, you know, my life could end at any second. It was like <laughs> one of those things. So I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'll be back. You know, I'll help. <laughs> you're going to hear from me again. So what was the turning point in your reporting relationship with him? I think what started to happen was uh, in the years, two, three, four years following uh, our first meeting, I started to learn a lot more about the economics of sports and and, and the NFL. And I think as our valuations of teams got better, uh, he started to respect what we were doing. So he's very familiar with the level of legwork and detail and reporting we do. And I think he has a certain amount of respect for our understanding of the economics so that I think he uh, knows that at least we're putting a good effort in to try to get what's happening right. Now, he turns around the Cowboys pretty quickly. How does he do it? Well, uh, he gets rid of the legendary head coach, Tom Landry, brings in his college football uh, line mate, 
Jimmy Jones. They both played at what the University of Arkansas. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and uh, he. Uh, Sorry, he, Jimmy Jones or Jimmy Johnson? Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson. Thank you. It brings in Jimmy Johnson and Jimmy Johnson. They do a trade where they had had Herschel Walker, who was a Heisman Trophy winner, great running back at the University of Georgia. They trade Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings for a lot of draft picks. And these draft picks and, and, and trades that they make from the draft picks and so forth bring in a lot of great players. And they very quickly, I think in 93 or 94, win, win the championship, uh, win the Super Bowl. And uh, from that, the ability to market and sell the team uh, just exploded. Which is interesting because they have not won a Super Bowl since 1996. And right. yet, how long have they been at the top of the NFL franchise valuation list? Well, this year we valued them at $5.5 billion, and I believe it was the 13th consecutive year they were on the top. Uh, so how can NFL they... Value. And they did not win a Super Bowl in any of that time. So how are they at the top of that? You go back to the roots of Jerry Jones, and I've never met anybody who could sell like Jerry Jones. And of course, in 2009... They got their new stadium, which just had a tremendous amount of selling opportunities, whether it be stadium naming rights with AT&T and all the other sponsors. Plus, uh, uh, 2017, they opened a new headquarters. And I always get a kick out of that because they have a lot of sponsorships with that. And one of them's Ford. So I always think, you know, the Ford family, they own the Lions. So, you know, the Ford is subsidizing the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> with their sponsorship. But I, I think one of the things Jerry Jones very quickly did, you know, the NFL has what are known as league-wide sponsors. And the revenue from these sponsors is split evenly among all the uh, teams in the NFL. Well, what Jerry very quickly realized was, you know, the other sponsors in the same category want in, but they can't get in. So, for example, the league had a sponsor with Visa. So Jerry came in and did his own deal with American Express. You know, I, the league, I think, had a sponsorship with Coca-Cola. Jerry cut his own with Pepsi. You know, and of course... Jerry is used to doing whatever Jerry wants to do. Well, he's also very used to saying, you know what, why are we leaving all this money on the table? These people want in. There's huge inventory. And these companies have been locked out by these league-wide agreements. And, you know, I think they should be in. So how would you characterize how the public and the rest of the media perceives him? I think I've seen him referred to as like a country bumpkin and he wants to prove himself. And he's not just the owner, but he's also the general manager, which, you know, some people say is not the best for the team. Well, you know, no matter uh, what the value the team increases to or how much money the team makes or any of that, the vast majority of people that follow football care about one thing and one thing only, and that's bring me a Super Bowl. You know, so as you pointed out, not having won a Super Bowl since 1996, Texas fans are very, very frustrated. Dallas Cowboy fans are frustrated. And so they criticize the team uh, feel and what do they do? He always goes to the owner. You know, the buck stops there. They blame Jerry Jones for that, and he will never shy away for saying, "Yeah, I'm the owner, and the buck does stop here." Uh, there are other teams where owners probably get involved in player personnel, but it's not as publicized as it is with the Cowboys. But I, but I think that uh, he really wants that next Super Bowl. And the one thing he's not is a country bumpkin. 
I mean, if you talk to Jerry Jones, I don't care. I've talked to him about the NFL. I've talked to him about esports. I've had conversations with him just about the economy in general. And, you know, uh, he's very smart and he has people around him that are very, very smart. So uh, a country bumpkin is the furthest thing he's from. I think it was a line in a profile I was reading. I don't know that I, I think having smart people around you is probably the strongest indicator that someone is smart. So it's further vouching for his uh, business know-how. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And uh, again, uh, you go to uh, everything that he has been involved with in the NFL, apart from the Cowboys, things in general, the television deals, the stadium deals, the sponsorship deals. If you look at the history of those uh, and the amount of money they've brought in and the way that he's led those committees, they've all been far more lucrative than people ever thought they would be. And I'm not saying he's the only person in the NFL, you know, that's done that. I mean, Robert Kraft has had a big part in that and, and other owners as well. But Jerry Jones has, has been a big, big part of that. He seems like a guy with a grand vision. Well, What's happened and what he was one of the first people to realize is that you have this entity called the National Football League where the number of people who follow it and yearn for anything NFL 24-7, 365 days a year, mm -hmm. is enormous. And they want stuff coming out. They'll consume it all the time. It's why you talk, you put on sports talk radio now, and you could have five different stations on, and they're all more or less talking about the same thing. And they're talking about the NFL, and, you know, this player did this, and Tom Brady wore this hat, and, you know, Dak Prescott's holding out for this, and people can't get enough. And what Jerry really did was he figured out how to sell that. How do I take that yearning for that anything NFL and monetize it? So, Mike, we have segments on the show. We like to have a little fun, though. This whole conversation has been fun. And I want to start with the Kylie calculation. In this segment, we will rate Jerry Jones on our scale of how self-made he is based on where he started out in life. This segment is obviously a nod to the internet outrage we caused in the magazine when we called Kylie Jenner a self-made woman. So based on what you know about Jerry Jones, is he a self-made man? Does he come from money? What would you give him on the self-made spectrum? 100% self-made man. G give us a, he, his father was an insur had an insurance business, so he didn't start with nothing, but... But I, he was strictly on commission. It wasn't like he had this huge empire turned over to him. You know, this was in Chubb. Uh, it was very small company, and Jerry was out there peddling. Uh, the money, any money that Jerry earned was based on how many policies he sold. He's always selling. He's always selling. He's a, a marketing a, genius. A self-made seller. And one of the things that always strikes me as surprising about Jerry is the fact that he created a fortune from football. He did not have a fortune that buy a football team, and that's different than the way uh, most of the owners in the NFL arrive at uh, owning a football team, correct? I, I sp sort of spoke to him about that once, and you know, why did he want to buy a team so badly? Why are you willing to risk total bankruptcy and failure? 
And one of the things he always said is, you know, there there are but two things that they you're guaranteed to get a parade for. You know, two two <laughs> two types of people. He said, you know, they're astronauts, and he said, and people that win the Super Bowl. You know, and uh, uh, I think even here in in New York, where sports is huge, sometimes it's hard to understand how big football is in Texas. You know, as they say, there's there are two sports in Texas: fall football and spring football, and and I think that's true. I like that parade analogy. I also think, I don't know, I'm someone, if you ever play the, like, if you... uh, if you had a billion dollars, what would you do with it? I mean, I think a billion— we, Is that a game that you often play? It's a really good cocktail party conversation. <laughs> I think, like, the would you buy a private island or would you buy a sports team is a debate that I've had with friends, and I actually take the team Well, oh, the team yeah. Well, as Mike's research has shown, there's been no better investment if you can get, get up the cash than to buy a sports team, right? And then the other game or fun question that we wanted to ask you, so we call it Statue of Limitations. Will there be a statue built to Jerry Jones in 100 years? And I think I want to amend that question. Is there already a statue of him somewhere in Dallas? There is no statue that I'm aware of. Uh, I would say there absolutely will be a statue built of him. And my guess would be uh, it will be outside the stadium. (laughs) What's his, uh, and this is, I like this segment because it gives us a chance to, what is his his long-term legacy going to be both for football, for the NFL, I think I think for the Cowboys, it, the legacy will be regardless of how valuable the Cowboys become, will be how successful they are on the field. So he still has probably several years to determine that. And if they win another Super Bowl or two, I think his legacy, people will focus on more the beginning where he turned it around and the end where they won because you know how sports fans are. Uh, and if he does not uh, win another Super Bowl, I think uh, that his legacy will be a lot less positive because people care at the end of the day most about what's going on between the lines. Can we bum one last Jerry story off you? You seem to have uh, uh, like, a, like a line of football field. Uh, I guess I guess the, the, the funniest thing is, you know, sometimes I think about, you know, talking about, uh, owners and you get to know them and I start thinking about like is is there an because I'm a big movie fan you know I I love movies you know if I I have time by myself and I could just veg out when does that happen I put I put on Turner Classic movie a late at night you know for the last <laughs> couple hours you know I was just watching the Maltese Falcon the other oh, night that's a good, okay okay Sam Spade you know and and you know I'm a big I love Wall Street you know, the Wall Street, yes. movie, you know, and greed I, is good. Greed is good. And I, and I, you know, think about that and I'm saying, you know, Jerry's a lot like, uh, uh, the actor that, that had that lead role. Michael, Michael Douglas? Douglas. Yeah. In, in this sense, in this sense, you know, the greed is good line taken in the context that I see it at is greed as an incentive to generate more wealth not for the sake of wealth per se, but for the sake of how it drives the overall economics and the wealth of whatever industry you're in. Mm -hmm. And I would say I could see Michael Douglas playing Jerry Jones in that role in the sense that greed is good as so long as what that greed is pushing you to do is to keep 
pushing yourself to maximize what's best for your franchise, in this case, the Dallas Cowboys. Because if the Cowboys are constantly being pushed to generate more money, to win more on the field, it's actually good for the overall NFL. It's a, as, it's a positive thing. So I, I'm kind of got, I think he's got a little Michael Douglas he's got in him. Inadvertent casting couch. Mm. So Michael Douglas <laughs> as Jerry Jones. I'm not a movie buff, and I was I I can't think of who I would pick to play Jerry Jones. Abe, do you have a, a better one, or is Michael Douglas our man to play the movie about Jerry's legacy? Did you see Vice? I think Christian Bale could do a good job. Oh. Well, I mean, like, Daniel Day-Lewis can be anyone. So that's, like, my default answer. He could play Roger Goodell. I trust him to play. I trust him to play me. But Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't see Daniel Day-Lewis coming out of retirement uh, to, uh, to do uh, Jerry Jones. But... Well, the question is, which Christian Bale, too? I mean, you know, there's a, there's a huge variety well, there, I think that's too, a question you know. for another pod. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, given, the way, uh, given the way he can transform himself, he can play Jerry in multiple decades, too, right? From, like, football football playing Jerry all the, all, all the way up. a cheaper movie to produce. It is. All right. I like to end every interview with this question. Is there anything we missed? Anything we need to know about Jerry Jones and your NFL valuations before we let you go? I think if people want to uh, see whether or not I, there was any uh, truth to what we're talking about here with Jerry, what the upshot is, have them stay tuned to the NFL's next round of TV deals, which uh, the current ones are expiring in 2022, and see what happens with that. And my guess is they're all going to exceed expectations. And that's what Jerry's told you. Well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't put it in those words. You know, uh, uh, he's been more coy with more time there. But <laughs> but let's just say I have confidence in that, given that he's one of the key NFL people overseeing those deals. I like a prediction. We'll hold you and Jerry to it. Mike, thank you so much for coming into the studio. It's a Thanks, lot of Mike. fun. Thank you. I hate to navel gaze over here at Forbes, so I think it's time for our last segment. It's last but not least. Lists from around the internet or history that we want to give some credit to. So since I've been the Eagles fan all my life and throwing lots of shade towards the Cowboys, I want to throw some love to the Bleacher Report for its list of 100 greatest sports rivalries. Mm, okay. They published in 2012, so it might be a little outdated, and I think you're going to disagree with a lot. I already disagree. Number 100 is the Pittsburgh Penguins versus the Philadelphia Flyers. Which, I know anyone cared about the Pittsburgh Penguins, but go ahead. Well, Philadelphia Flyers fan do, and they certainly Apparently. care about us. Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather are number 99, which also further makes me question this list. But let's go to the other end. Who do you think is the number one greatest sports rivalry, according to Bleacher Report? Red Sox-Yankees. That is number eight on this list. So respectable. Okay. All right. Give me number one. Let's count down from five. Number five, Real Madrid versus Barcelona in European soccer happenings. Finland versus Sweden comes in at number four. Do they even have armies? I think we're still talking football. Oh. Or, excuse me, soccer. Number three, the Montreal Canadiens versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Canadians do. The Canadians as a nation love their, love their hockey. They do. Number two, Ohio State Buckeyes versus Michigan Wolverines in college football. I watched many a high school like fight over over these teams, and I went to school in Pennsylvania, so I I, I agree with that. We could, go, we could round up the Ohioans in Forbes and have this fight. And exactly. And number one, no guesses. No, give it to me. Joe Frazier versus Muhammad Ali. Ah, all right. That's a little antiquated, but you know. But I think if we're talking history, grand scope of sports and passion and well, blood I, spoil. I, how many times do they fight? 
Three fights, 41 rounds, and according to Bleacher Report, constant bloodshed. Mm. All right, Abe, this has been fun, but I have hit my Cowboys saturation point. This Eagles fan needs some lunch and some time with some You need food. a cheesesteak. I need a cheesesteak. I really do. So this is Maggie McGrath signing off. And I'm Abe Brown. Thank you so much for joining us. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews really help us get the word out about this podcast. We'll see you next week when we're going to be joined by staff writer Maddie Berg. She's going to talk to us about... One of the ultimate ringmasters out there, Guy de Liberté. He's the billionaire founder of Cirque du Soleil, and uh, he also has a new entertainment phenomenon in the works. Listed is a Spoke Media production. Kieran Meadows records with us in studio. And our producer is Reva Goldberg. Our theme song is composed and performed by Will Short. Our production team is Caroline Hamilton, Tyler Norris, Jean-Yel Kastner, and Keith Reynolds at Spoke Media. And thanks to Travis Collins, Kyle Kramer, Randall Lane, Laurel Monglin, and Dario Furutan here at Forbes. Abe had a question for you. Do you have Jerry Jones's phone number in your phone? I do. In your cell phone? I do. Can we call him? Right now? Let's do it. No. (laughs) I don't don't have my cell phone with me. That's the main reason. Otherwise, you know what? I would.